0: I want to start off sharing about a young man. We'll call his name Fred. He's 24 years old. He has a lot of struggles in his life. He's married. He has two small children and a wife. And he is struggling in his marriage. He's struggling for direction in his life. He cannot find wisdom how to get along in his marriage with his wife. He doesn't know how to raise his children. He's struggling financially. He even goes so far as to injure his wife, both physically and emotionally. And he has no wisdom. And he, furthermore, has no knowledge of the Bible to help him navigate through the challenges of life. He decided he was so desperate, he became frustrated. His desperation and frustration led him to seek out help. He came to my church office. It was about time for me to go home. I thought, oh, great. (laughs) That was my attitude. I'm like, I'm ready to go home, and this guy comes in, and he's got all these issues and stuff going on, and spills his heart out. And as he shared his story, and I learned about his background, I realized he had zero gospel truth in his life. Zero. I began to open the scriptures with him, and I shared with him how the scriptures tell us that we are born in sin. And because we are born in sin we are separated from God and we are enemies of God and God will not tolerate sin in his presence because he is holy. But God has made a way for us to become friends of God and reconciled to him through the person of his son Jesus on the cross. Jesus died for my sin and he died for your sin. Fred, I don't know, had heard that before. Fred bowed his head and with tears gave his life to Christ. He walked out a changed man that day. But what made the difference was gospel truth in Fred's life. How many Freds are there in Huron and surrounding areas? I think there's a lot of Freds who haven't heard gospel truth. And when we look today at the parable of the soils, I think about Fred, and I think about a lot of people like Fred who don't have gospel truth in their life. And as we read through about the parable of the soils, we're going to learn something. You know, there's a phrase that has been used. I've heard it used. You've probably heard it used that God is not nearly as concerned about my happiness as he is my holiness. But I'm going to add something to that, make it a little bit different this morning, and it is this, that God is not nearly as concerned about my happiness as he is my fruitfulness. In other words, God wants us to live fruitful lives. And I would even say it this way that fruitfulness is contingent on my relationship to gospel-centered living. If we are going to live truly fruitful lives, it will be because our lives are centered on the gospel and nothing else. The gospel plus nothing else. Here's what I mean by gospel-centered living. Gospel-centered living means that I strive to honor God in my relationships. My closest relationships, my wife, my husband, for those who are wives. And in those, how do I honor the Lord? Is that my communication is respectful, it is kind, it is loving. Also, it changes parents' relationships with children. If we live gospel-centered lives, parents and children have a working relationship. They don't just lay down a bunch of rules and say, follow these and if you get out of line, I'll let you know. No, it is praying with your kids. It is seeking to understand their challenges and their struggles as they learn to live gospel-centered lives based on watching mom and dad live gospel-centered lives lives. Gospel-centered living means I strive to honor God in my business dealings. And I say, this is what God wants for me in business. Not this is what I want, but is this what God wants for me in all of my business dealings? My daily decisions... Are impacted with gospel centered living, my response to temptation is that Christ will be glorified in my actions and reactions in all temptations. I get an invitation to participate in an immoral act. I decline the invitation because I have a gospel centered mindset. I would occasionally get invited to go out for a drink with the guys after work. I respectfully declined. I am tempted to lie to protect myself from facing undesirable consequences, so I tell the truth anyway. That's gospel-centered living. I am overwhelmed with anxious thoughts. I take those anxious thoughts and I talk to God about them and allow him to speak truth into my heart. That's gospel-centered living. And so today as we look at this parable of Jesus, a parable comes, the word parable comes from two Greek words. It comes from the word para, which means alongside of, and ballo, which means to lay or place. So what Jesus is doing when he shares this parable, he is taking two things. He is comparing something from earth, something from daily living, and he's putting something spiritual beside it to help us understand the spiritual truth based on the physical reality because we're visual. We see things. We understand daily things in our lives. Jesus takes something very daily, talking about the parable of the sower who goes out to sow seed. Well, that was an agrarian culture. Almost everybody farmed in that day. Almost everybody had you know, dirt under their fingernails because that's the kind of work they did. So Jesus tells this teaching and if you follow along in Mark chapter 4 beginning in verse 1 this parable can also be found it's in three of the gospels it's also found in Matthew chapter 13 and Luke chapter 8 and it's also here in Mark chapter 4 it would be told just a little bit differently based on the authors but similar and trying to convey the same truth. So here's what he says in Mark 4 beginning in verse 1 again Jesus began to teach by the lake the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said listen a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. Then Jesus said, "'He who has ears to hear, let him hear.' When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, "'The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven.'" Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So here we have a sower going out to sow seed. He does it indiscriminately. He's just casting it out. He gets his bag on his shoulder and they would cast it out by hand and it would go all over the place. They would put seed wherever they possibly could. And so the focus is not who is actually given out the seed. It just says a farmer. It could be anybody. It could be Jesus himself doing this or it could be one of the people in the crowd. The point is the seed is being put out. You can't have fruit without seed. And so they spread out the seed. The seed um, is then to grow. Now I want to take time to look at four soil conditions that he gives us in this passage. As the farmer sows his seed, we see four soil conditions. The first one is the path soil. Notice he says... In verse 4, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. This was the path soil. Path soil, they had little paths that would wind between the fields all throughout Galilee. And this is where the farmer would walk on this path, or even travelers who were traveling from one place to another would walk on this little narrow path, and they would spread their seed. And it was also places for foot traffic where people could travel from one place to another. So that narrow path became very, very hard because it would be wore down, it would be packed down by foot traffic, and it would be baked by the hot sun and the dry conditions, and it would be impenetrable. The seed could not possibly penetrate. It became like concrete. And so that was one type of soil. And of course, farmers would identify with this. The ground is not able to receive the seed. And when there's no seed... There's no fruit. There's no harvest. So the birds would come along and eat it. They would snatch it up for food. And as a result, there was no um, fruit. Secondly, is the rocky soil. He goes on and he says, Some in verse 5 fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because there was no root. The rocky soil, I have had the privilege of being in Israel a couple of times. And in Israel, you can't hardly look without seeing a rock somewhere. It's hilly, it's rocky, it's terrible. And not only do you see rocks that are very visible sticking up out of the ground, on top of the ground, but also in certain places the soil is very thin and shallow and there's rocks beneath that. And so sometimes the plants would grow in that thin soil but because the roots couldn't go very deep you would have what looked appeared to be a healthy plant it would be scorched by the sun and burned up and there was no fruit from that as well. Then you had the thorny soil. He goes on to say in verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. They would go out and Cultivate the land and plow the land, and as they plowed the land, they would realize that there were thorns and brambles in the dirt. And whenever you put a seed down where there are weeds, guess what happens? The weeds suck up all of the water and the nutrients, and the weeds come around the seed and choke the seed and squeeze the life out of it and strangle the seed so that there's no fruit. Then, he finally gets to the good soil. Seed sown on this soil would mature and produce a crop that would produce a return of 30, 60, or 100-fold. In ancient Israel, farmers expected a 6- to 8-fold yield at harvest time. So when you get to 30, 60, and 100, that is like exponential. That is like seed on steroids. I mean it's phenomenal return for what they put in. Well Jesus shares all this and then he gets down to verse 9 and he makes an interesting statement. He shares this story about all the different types of soil to all the farmers there, all the people who farm and he says he who has ears to hear let him hear. Is that all Jesus wanted to communicate? It's about the types of soil and the types of farming that they would do. And the answer is no, it's a parable. He goes on. Remember, he's going to lay two things side by side. He's talking about the physical and the aspect of farming because that's what they would know. And now he gets into the spiritual. But he says, if you really want to hear what I want to tell you, you better put your ears on. You better pay attention to what I'm going to tell you. And the reason Jesus said that, it was because many of the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, as we've already seen in the first three chapters, rejected the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of preaching of Jesus was rejected. They rejected his miracles. And he says, if you really want to understand the message that I'm trying to communicate, you better put your ears on and listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Do not turn a deaf ear to what I'm trying to tell you. Just like Fred in our opening story, Fred needed to open his ears to gospel truth. God used Fred's tough circumstances to open his ears to gospel truth. Deaf ears, don't miss this, deaf ears lead to closed hearts. The only people who would be given understanding, Jesus says, is the people who have ears to hear and those who have hearts to receive it. Notice what happens in verse 10. When he's alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. Like, okay, what does this really mean? They had an interest and asked questions. Some people come in, they don't want to hear any, they don't have any questions, they don't have any, they don't have any interest. And so Jesus is not going to give more truth. And so here's what he tells them, this secret, and he calls it a secret, and the reason he's telling it's a secret is because they're listening. I'm going to tell you now the secret. The other people who didn't ask the question and aren't interested aren't going to hear the secret. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. And why did he give it to them? Because they had ears to hear what he was saying. But to those on the outside, those who do not put ears on to hear, those who are like the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and those who reject my teaching are on the outside. Everything is said in parables. And he said, here's why I'm teaching this way. So that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding otherwise they might turn and be forgiven now that sounds almost harsh doesn't it why did jesus say that because he was not going to waste truth on people that rejected him they rejected him he told them the plain truth in the first three chapters he showed them his miracles he told them the plain truth and they rejected it, and he says, now I'm going to teach you in parables because I want the truth to be hidden from them until they put their ears on. Now here, let me give you just a quick illustration of that and why this is not mean. If your child wants an ice cream cone, and he says, dad, give me an ice cream cone. What's your favorite? You know, you get your favorite flavor, and you get that ice cream cone, and pretty soon you're watching your little boy, and that ice cream is melting all over his hand, and it's dripping on the ground and the cone gets soggy and you're like, son, eat the cone. Oh, I, I, I mean, I don't want to eat it. I just, I just want to hang on to it. He's like, well, you're wasting it. And so you have to throw it away. Dad, could I have another cone? What, is, what are you going to say? Boy, wake up. You're not getting another cone. You wasted what I gave you. And in essence, Jesus hands them the truth and if you waste it, you don't do anything with it, you don't open your ears to it, why would he give you more? He's not going to. He doesn't waste his words. So these religious leaders are not keen on the mystery of the kingdom. Their eyes and ears cannot grasp a spiritual kingdom. Now, the verses, when Jesus talks about seeing and never perceiving, hearing, but never understanding, Jesus took this out of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, which was a prophecy given 700 years earlier against God's people in Israel who rejected the prophet's message and judgment came on them. And God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, to take them and capture them and take them to Babylon and brought judgment on his people because they did not listen with open ears and their hearts were closed. Here is a similar case. Jesus says, I am bringing judgment on you by bringing these parables the same way that I brought judgment on the people of the Old Testament of Israel. I'm bringing judgment on you and you will not hear either because you have rejected the word of God. You are spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. And they lost the ability to understand or respond to the message. They wasted the revelation that God had given them. Now, down in verse 13, he says, Don't you understand this parable? How, then, will you understand any parable? They didn't understand. And he says, If you don't understand this parable, parable, this is the foundation parable to understand all the other parables. If you don't get this one, you're not going to get the others. It was foundational. That's why he's telling them to listen and to put their ears on. This parable has to do with truth about the gospel and salvation. The disciples also needed to know why the message of Jesus was being rejected by all of these people Because when Jesus leaves the earth, he is giving them the challenge and us the challenge of bringing the gospel to the masses. And he's saying, if they reject me and the seed that I'm giving out, don't expect a different result when you give out the message and the seed. Many people are going to reject it. Just understand that. And so that was needed to be shared, and Jesus wanted them to know that. Some will listen and some will believe. The seed, if we go on in verse 14, the farmer sows the word. Now he tells us what the seed is. The seed is the word of God. It is gospel truth. Here's what he tells us in Luke eight eleven. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Gospel truth, because what do people need In their life is gospel truth. It is the only thing that will set them free and help them in a troubled marriage, help them relate with their spouse, help them with their children, help us live moral lives, help us be truthful in our dealings, help us make wise business choices, help us navigate through life. The only way we can do that is through gospel truth. If you have problems in your marriage, do you realize it's a lack of gospel truth in your marriage? You're like, oh, no, no, it's not gospel. Yes, it is. Because God has given us principles for a healthy, happy, joyful marriage, and one or both are not living according to gospel truth. Now, one could be, and the other one's not, and that makes it very difficult for the one who is trying to live according to gospel truth. You have a problem with your son or your daughter. Either you or your son or daughter has a problem with gospel truth. When you lie to your parents, kids, do you know what that is? That's a lack of gospel truth. Gospel truth will sever your relationship with your parents. You will have distrust in that relationship because you're not living according to gospel truth. So gospel truth is important, and if we are going to live fruitful lives, it'd be because we live according to gospel truth. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. So he goes on, and he says, as the farmer sows the seed... In verse 15, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word away of that which was sown in their heart. Here's how it says it in Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the message about the kingdom is gospel truth, does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown where. In his heart, he was relating the ground, the hard ground, to a hard heart. A heart that does not allow the seed of truth to penetrate it. And so then you live in spiritual blindness and spiritual darkness. So the first soil type is a hard heart. Where is your heart? Is it hard? Or is it soft? A hard heart is unreceptive to the gospel message. The heart is calloused. Because of repeated unbelief, the heart is petrified. They refuse to listen to the message. I'm in control. I will not hear or surrender that control to another. I choose to live in sin, and I refuse to acknowledge my need of a Savior And therefore, when I hear the message, Satan just snatches it away because I am not interested in your Savior or your story. That is a response to the gospel message. Hopefully, it's not our response. Here's how he says it, and we mentioned this verse last week when we talked about spiritual blindness. In their case, Notice the God is small g because it's talking about the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Spiritual blindness, spiritual deafness is a hard heart, unreceptive to the gospel. Some people are also hardened by the trials of life. They respond wrongly to trials. They see trials as God's hand against them, when in reality those trials are designed to show us our need of Christ. The trials harden their heart rather than softening their heart, where it becomes pliable to the gospel. And I'm so thankful when Fred walked into my office that day, the trials of life softened his heart. His heart became pliable, so when the seed was given out, the gospel truth was given out, he received it into his life. The second type of soil is a shallow heart. He talks about it in verse 16. He says, "'Others are like seed, the word of God, sown on rocky places.'" They hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Here is a person that has no depth to them whatsoever. They have a very shallow life. They don't think deeply. Everything is superficial. Surface relationships. Never get into heart issues. You can't sit down over a cup of coffee with them and talk about spiritual heart issues because everything has to be on the surface the weather, ball games, current events. If you go beyond that and you start talking about personal things in their life, they they don't like that. They like the shallow life, they like the image life. Image is important. Let's not talk about character, let's not talk about change. Let me just be comfortable where I'm at. Image is more important. Everything is funny. Everything's a joke. You can't get into serious conversations. But for a shallow heart, it says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges Look at this. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That is the depth of the word of God. It penetrates. While you may have this superficial attitude, God is able to penetrate through all your superficiality to the very need of your heart. While nobody else may know what it is. You may have something secret going on, but the word of God penetrates through every secret right to the attitude of your heart and the thoughts of your heart. You see, the heart, apart from the word of God, has no way to correct itself. I can't correct myself. My heart can't self-correct itself. There's nothing to keep my heart in check. There's nothing to keep my heart accountable. God's word judges my heart. My thoughts. Now, when I allow the word of God, I open it up and it begins to speak to me. Now, I have accountability for how I think inside. Now, I have answerability to how I think inside. I'm answerable to someone who is questioning what is in my heart. What is in your heart? Then he goes on to the third soil type. The preoccupied heart. Notice what he says in verse 18. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is the thorny heart. It is consumed with the here and the now. The focus of my life is temporary. I don't have time to think about eternal When the seed starts to grow, it becomes strangled by the thorny weeds and chokes the life out of the seed so that it cannot produce fruit. And why is that? Because this life is consumed with a bigger paycheck, a bigger house, a happy marriage, um, more than the Joneses. I want to look good. It's more about image. It's more about living the American dream than living gospel truth. It's one, I want everybody to think well of how I am and how successful I am and how smart I am and how whatever I am. <laughs> it's about me <laughs> and not about him. So here's what Scripture reminds us of: gospel truth. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's gospel truth. He's saying don't get so wrapped up and tangled up in getting this huge nest and then you die and what? (laughs) Um, Gospel truth. He tells us this in... First John 2:15 to 17, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So preoccupied heart will kill fruitfulness in our lives. Fourth soil type, a receptive heart. This is the only one that will bear spiritual fruit. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 14, 13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, the seed, the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. How do we receive the seed? It says we do it humbly. We humbly Accept the word planted in us which can save us. That is gospel truth. Get rid of moral filth, the evil that is prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the worldly heart is the proud heart. It rejects the seed of God's word. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. He goes on to say about then the good soil in verse 20 hears the word, accepts it, and produces a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. John MacArthur puts this down in mathematical terms then. And he said, These figures represent 3,000, 6,000, and 10,000%. Natural yields were less than eightfold, so these folds are unbelievable. If we want to live fruitful lives we have to have gospel truth in our lives. Young people that aren't married yet, you want to have a marriage that is happy and joyful and godly and fulfilling. If you try to do it apart from gospel truth, you will fail. I'm not saying you'll get divorced. You may stay in it, but it may be World War III. I'm just telling you, when you try to do things apart from gospel truth, you're headed for trouble. If you want to raise your children the right way, we have to do it according to gospel truth. Maybe you have financial difficulty in your life. You're deep in debt. And the reason you're deep in debt is you're trying to keep up with the Joneses and you haven't honored God with your finances according to gospel truth. Go back to gospel truth and honor God with the first fruits of what you've been given. And you know what God will do? He will bless your finances. Gospel truth. Fruitful lives. Faithfulness, let me go back to my opening statement. Faithfulness is contingent on my relationship to gospel-centered living. If we are to bear spiritual fruit in our lives, it will be because we live gospel-centered lives. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let me ask you where you're at today. Even, even your attitude toward the message today. You're like, you know, I'm thinking about lunch right now. Please finish. Um, what about your relationship with God? What about the soil types that God gives us in his word? What about the condition of your heart? Is your heart hard toward truth? Do you open the scripture to say what does gospel truth have to say to help me navigate through my temptations, my troubles, my challenges? Do I open the pages of scripture to say how can this help me in my closest relationships with my wife, my children? Is gospel-centered living able to help me more than you know. Satan wants to blind you, keep you spiritually blind and spiritually deaf so that he can keep you in bondage. Gospel truth. What about your neighbor? What about the people you do business with? If you were to try to make an assessment What is the condition of their heart? People that you rub shoulders with. Who on your prayer list are you praying for that has a hard heart? Who on your prayer list are you praying for that has a shallow heart? A preoccupied heart? And hopefully we're praying for one another and those who have good hearts. But what is God saying to you this morning about living a gospel-centered life, about bearing spiritual fruit? We have far too many Christians who have made a profession of faith who have fruitless lives. The gospel is not central. The gospel means almost nothing to them, and they barely open the Scripture. Oh, they might tune into a Christian station now and then. But what about when it comes to living? What about when it comes to those closest to you? Is it gospel-centered living then? What about when it comes to making decisions in your life? Do you decide based on what you want? Or do you say, God, I am willing to throw all of this on the altar and say, I want a gospel-centered decision about this. Is, is, is making this decision that I want to make, when I make that decision, will it promote the gospel in my life and in my witness? Is that what it's about? Or is it about how much can I get? <laughs> See, I think our decisions should be gospel-centered. Take the rest of your life. Is your life going the direction of gospel-centered living right now? Is it pleasing God in these areas? Are you moving in that direction? Say, God, I want to please you more than please myself. I want the gospel to be central because that is the only thing that will set people free from their sin. There was nothing special about what I shared with Fred that day other than gospel truth that changed Fred's life. You have some Freds in your life. Who is it that God wants you to share the gospel truth with who will be converted like Fred? Maybe in 2019. Would you be that vessel that God would use? Would you desire to be that vessel that God would use? Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with God. Maybe it's new to you. I am thrilled to tell you gospel truth can change your life from the inside out. I don't know what struggle you have. I don't know what problem you have. But I know that gospel truth can change you. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your relationship with your kids. It'll change how you make decisions. It will revolutionize your life. And the soil of your heart will begin to change by the power of God. Would you give him your life? Would you tell myself or someone before you leave that today at Bethesda Church, I gave my life to God because I want to live according to gospel truth. And then we can get you resources and help you grow in your walk with Christ. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.